0: Welcome everyone to another episode with the 10% Podcast. Today, I have Brad, who's known to be an investor, and now he's turned as an operator. We're going to use this episode to focus on talking about everything advisory and advisory boards. So Brad, thank you for getting on the podcast.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Jason. I'm excited to be here.
0: Yeah, so let's get to it. Can you just start off with your background, on where you grew up? and? Yeah, let's just start off from there.
1: Yeah, most definitely. Uh grew up in Michigan, suburbs of Detroit. Um, sort of got my my start in the world of venture and startups and all that from um, I'll shout out uh an old mentor of mine who I actually just reconnected with down in Miami. And that was that was exciting. Um, by the name of Eric Tornberg, probably best known for launching on deck and being the first um. First employee at Product Hunt and Village Global, uh, but Eric and I met when I was like I don't know seventeen years old. Wow! And I, I sort of yeah, it was <laughs> way back. I I had a zero facial hair and was exceptionally insecure about <laughs> my worthiness to be in that room. But um, nonetheless, he had a he had a startup that was called Wrapped FM, and um, all I really remember is that at the end, so it was a rap battle ciphering okay. uh, platform, yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay. Fun times, and this was in Detroit, and Eric had said at the end of the interview, if you freestyle for me, um, that's sort of the, the end of it. If you can nail freestyle, then you're in. And so freestyle I did, and um, mm. I'll just say I'm very glad that was not being recorded. Um, Because I just want you to envision, Jason, just this little high-pitched Jewish boy freestyling in a conference room in the Madisonville in Detroit for an internship was just an absolute (laughs) 10 out of 10. um, (laughs) So I'll leave you with that. Um, And and that was like sort of my foray into this. Like I learned um, what a startup even was and and really was in the weeds doing – I couldn't even tell you what I was doing at this point, but I'm sure – all sorts of things. I remember like cold DMing people for, for press on LinkedIn and um any anywho it was it was my introductory course you could call it put me in the room, um enabled me to to meet a handful of folks who I would end up and go and work for down the road. Um but then went to, to University of Michigan for school. Um I guess I'm skipping apart. I didn't go straight to school. I moved out to LA for a little bit to be a what I call a entrepreneur. Um mm-hmm working out of a WeWork here with a gentleman from London and uh, did that for probably close to a year. Total failure, um, but learned a lot. And he actually still runs the company in a different industry, you could say, in London to this day, which good for him. Um, But I moved on, chased love to U of M. And then, yeah, there I, I spent some time working with, Detroit Venture Partners, who I met at the um, in that Madison building, this this sort of hub of innovation in Detroit. Uh, then went to I had moved to China for some period of time, probably a story for another time. But met some folks who were opening an office in Ann Arbor to to do. Venture. and so joined that part-time in school, started an organization called UpRound while I was at U of M, which is also in the the venture world and um enabling people to to get involved um, because it felt very, very isolated to white guys in business school. And so okay. a handful of friends and I started UpRound to sort of change that dynamic as we had heard, you know, from a lot of different folks across the the university that there was interest in in venture. And so, um, that's really s- sort of spawned into a, a beast of its own. No thanks to us, thanks to sort of the students who have, have taken it over since. But it's really cool to see. Um, and then this is this is a longer intro than I had intended, but I have severe ADHD and my mind just sort of starts unraveling.
0: That's
1: <laughs> but uh let's see. I moved to Chicago, joined an early stage venture fund called Light Bank, spent like three and a half years there. Um yeah. And really enjoyed, enjoyed doing that. Got to work with uh, founders pretty closely, with, which which is something a lot of venture firms say they do. I'm not so sure all of them live up to that commitment. But that was one of the things that excited me about LightBank was like, really got to be in the weeds with the founders we invested in. Um, maybe that was because of our sort of concentrated approach at the time where we weren't writing as many checks. Um, but yeah, did that for for some time and then left probably... Gosh, maybe a year and a half ago now, something like mm-hmm. that. Um, to to sort of get my feet wet in the operating side of things, I got really. Uh, I shouldn't say I got. I'd always been passionate about mental health from from a personal lens, and yeah. I guess being in venture opened up my eyes to just how how large of a market opportunity is, and how mm-hmm. sort of nascent the the industry is, especially if you juxtapose it to traditional healthcare, and yeah. so. At LightBank, made made a couple investments in that space and then really, really just gotten enthused to the point where it was hard to, to stay on the investing side when I felt there was so much building to do, um, particularly in that space. And so I went and joined um, a company in that space that was super, super early. And yeah, I'll pause there, happy to answer any questions. I know you want to talk about some advisory stuff, but yeah, hopefully that gives some color.
0: For sure, yeah. So during your time at LightBank, you did end up advising a couple of companies. You joined the advisory board. So what is the role of an advisory board member in a startup and how can it benefit a company? Uh,
1: so I don't know that I formally joined advisory boards while at LightBank. I, I joined, I had board observer seats. Mm-hmm. Um, what I would say is like the, well, I'll answer your first question. What is my role to play within an early stage startup being that I'm like, this relatively young guy who doesn't have a whole lot of formal operating experience. Um, I think the the first thing is like, come to terms with that recognize that it's likely that your, your value add is going to be on the fringes. I think I learned this from one of the partners at LightBank is like, learn to contribute in a way that demonstrates you have awareness of what your history is and um, I think a lot of investors make the mistake of sort of playing this like, well, I'm the investor, you sort of work for me, founder, and here's what I can tell you and it's auto right because I'm an investor. I think that's that's really flawed thinking. Um, I think a lot of the times founders just need someone who like is approachable and that they can confide in and sort of be a sounding board, even if it's at, you know, 1130 at night. Um, just someone like I would love to be thought of as sort of the first call. That, that, that a founder knows they can call me and like they're gonna get someone who's one willing to hear them out and, and potentially just that, if that's all they need just to be heard out, I can do that. And what I'll ask sometimes is like, hey, do you want to just sort of vent to me and I can hear you out? Or do you want like more pragmatic, practical, my, my advice? And I always preface that with like, I'm one guy, like take it with a grain of salt, um, I don't necessarily know best, but um, yeah, I think it, at least while at LightBank, it was much more of just sort of the the default ethos of LightBank was like, if we're going to invest, we're going to lean in. And so I guess it looked sort of like an advisory capacity, um, but it was really just like our de facto operating protocol was to to lean in and be sort of, I don't know that the founders would say advisor. Um but it probably not now being an advisor to various startups, you know, post LightBank, I guess it's not all too different. Um, so hopefully that helps.
0: Yeah, I think even just growing up and looking at companies and speaking with founders, especially in my previous podcast, for those that know the marketer's key and business and whatever, get yeah, advisory boards. I think there's no definitive way of looking at it. I think it's done in different ways. So yeah, like you said, you didn't really see any differences post LightBank. So yeah, I think it's just more a fact that there's someone from the outside giving you a perspective and trying to, like you said, become be a value add. And um, yeah, what, what qualities should founders look at when it comes to finding advisory board members and how can they identify potential candidates?
1: Yeah, I think it should be like a... If if I were to do it, and I and I actually just recently brought someone onto an advisory board of a, a project I'm I'm building, um I think it's important to establish some level of working relationship prior to being like, hey, you're an advisor now, even if it's a big name. Like the, the gentleman I just brought on on paper, it's like no-brainer. Like you you we'd be honored to have you. Um, yeah. and I'm so lucky that he 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 found what we're building to be exciting and something he wants to be a part of. But we spent probably six, seven times on, on Zoom um, in a more informal capacity, talking about the business, talking about his aspirations, talking about what, what our sort of vision is. And so I think it's really important that you get to know the individual prior to just saying, hey, you're on, you're on the advisory board. And then what I look for and what I, what I would encourage, I think other founders to look for is diversity of thought. You know, People who don't necessarily agree with you um, I sort of think about the same thing with hiring. Like, if I'm going to hire someone, if I'm going to hire, you know, you, Jason, to be, let's say, I'm starting a venture fund, um, and I hire you to be a principal, uh, I don't want you to sit in the meetings and be like, yeah, yeah, yes, 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 yep, agreed, agreed. That doesn't really add value to the organization. Um, I try to have no ego about it in in the midst of like a disagreement, um, and really view it from the lens of like, this is the value that you bring as a. a a differentiated viewpoint on whatever the topic that we're discussing is. Um, And so I think the same is true for advisors. Like you want someone who has a differentiated view of whether it's the market or the product or the distribution strategy, you know, so on and so forth. And I think like there's always, I shouldn't say always, most times you find like that hybrid third option when you're talking to someone who, as long as that person has the awareness that like, it's just their opinion and it's based on their journey. Um, I think that's super valuable to have is someone who can just be a sounding board, share their opinions, even when they differentiate from yours and, and sort of guide you to a place that, that may be a, the right compromise. And sometimes they'll be dead wrong. And sometimes so will the founder. Um, but that's just how it goes. Like no one, no one's that good. Like I don't think investors are that good. I don't think founders are that good. I think the best ones recognize that experiment and are willing to sort of go through the, the ups and downs until they find something that works. And some people get super lucky and nail it the first time. Uh, I, th- I think that's the exception, not the rule.
0: Okay. And then how many members should a startup have on their board? Right? Because um, I think like what's it's more about what's the strategic approach they should take when choosing the amount of members to have on the board.
1: Yeah. I don't know if, if I was a founder, I don't know that I'd look at it as like a point in time exercise where it's like, okay, for the next three months, I'm going to fill out my advisory board and I'm going to go yeah. find all the great advisors. Um, sort of goes back to that approach that I mentioned where it happens a little bit more naturally as, as you grow the business and you, and you're running into people who, um, you know, can be super value add. Like you may have made the, the strategic decision to not turn on marketing for the first year but you find out that, you know, 365 days in marketing is going to be a huge component of this business. And then it's like, wow, we should really bring someone on to the advisory board who has marketing expertise. Um, and so I think in terms of numbers, I don't know that there's like a steadfast rule around, um, there's probably some thinking on this from people far smarter than me online. Um, but I would, I would say that like the last thing you want and, I adhere to this in my personal life and, and professional is like indecision by way of a million viewpoints. Um, my mom says something like that. I can't remember. She says it much more eloquently than I do. But like- If you remember, much, I'll bring it up again. Okay, yeah. <laughs> you know, when you ask, like if I were to ask 10 friends for what I sh- what should I do? Should I move to LA? Should I not? Um, I'm going to get 10 different opinions Correct. and my head can be spinning. Um, and I think the the same thing, is true for for building a business is like everyone has their different viewpoints that were formulated based on their experiences, and so I don't know that I'd want an advisory board of like seven, eight, nine, ten people. Um, also, I believe very much that like everyone should be incentivized to to be a part of this, and yes, I think equity is a key component of that. And so you want to be mindful of like if you're going to give advisors equity that's meaningful. Um, and you want to be judicious about how much equity you, you give out. I think that that sort of is a uh catalyst to, to keeping your board pretty tight and you can always like I wouldn't take any offense to like, hey, you are a great advisor Brad from like zero to one or five to twenty employees. um we found Jason and and we think that he'll be super helpful for us to go from twenty to eighty or. One million in revenue to ten million in revenue. Um, would you mind stepping down for the advisory board? One, no. The answer is no. Like I don't, I don't mind at all. Um, and and unpacking that, it's like, well, if you can convince me that that's true, you probably don't have to convince me. Like if you believe that's true, um, and I have equity in the company, I should want that. Um, and so, yeah, that's I guess I don't know that there's a, an exact number um, of advisors that's right or wrong.
0: So then with those that do join the advisory board, like what should they expect in terms of time commitment and compensation? I know you did say a little bit about equity, but can you expand on those two um,
1: variables? Yeah, Um, I'm very glad you brought up time commitment um, because I think that's absolutely key, especially when you go sort of up the stack of reputable folks who have very little time because they're extremely busy. I think it's super important to proactively communicate what the time commitment expectations are. Um, I guess speaking from personal experience, I have some like a founder who I'm working with right now. I just really, really believe in in the company. I, I believe in him. It, it's fun to work with him. We collaborate really well, and our communications like sort of all over the place. Like I'll, I was <laughs> I was texting him this weekend at like 11:30. I was I was on I guess you'd call it a date and. The girl looks up, she's like, Who are you talking to at 11:30? Cheating. Like, we're in Miami. I'm like, ah, yeah. And and so, you know, him and I are talking all the time, bouncing ideas back and forth, etc. I think, and I don't mind that. Like, I really enjoy it. Um, I think that's probably pretty unscalable. Like, I couldn't have that relationship with six different founders. Um, not that there are six founders who would want that with me, but nonetheless, I think it's important to be like, hey, look, here's the expectation once a quarter, once every two months, like we're going to have a meeting of the board. I'm not saying that's the exact approach, but some cadence where it's communicated up front so that the person can can accept that, frankly. The last thing I want to do is accept an advisory board position and then not be able to fulfill my commitment to that. And so um, another friend is, is building um, a company, well, a nonprofit that's sort of spinning into a, a B Corp. And asked me if I would join his, well, it started with advisory board now, now just like be a, a board member. And the only thing I said is like, hey, here's I, like, I'm happy to do it. I think it's really interesting. I've enjoyed working with you, et cetera. But the cadence at which we've been communicating over the past two weeks just probably isn't sustainable for me. And I don't want to like over promise and under deliver as far as how how regularly I can be involved. And so we sort of worked out a, a, an arrangement that I think he'll extend to the the rest of his board members around like the expectations of how often we're meeting and what we're meeting about, and I'm sure that will change and fluctuate and ebb and flow as things are going well or bad or, you know, whatever whatever happens. But at least having some like baseline expectation around involvement, I think is is really helpful. Um, and then equity, you know, I I don't know that there's a specific number. I think it really really just depends on you know, whether you've raised or not. And and mm-hmm. a, a handful of other sort of factors that you'd want to think about, um, as well as keeping in mind, like, I, I generally just believe in the principle of vesting, it just aligns everyone. Um, I don't know that much about advisor vesting, or if that's a thing. Um, yeah, what, what I, really, I really want to throw
0: a curveball at you, because how about if you're really, really early, and you said, like, um, someone that you see could fit to be an advisor for a startup and help you go from zero to one. That mm-hmm. may also include the fact that they did not raise. So I, I don't know. I haven't heard about um advisory vesting. But if you were in that situation, like what exactly would you do? Because equity at the time is worthless.
1: Well, is always worth it, <laughs> I think. I mean, yeah. Um, until it's worth something, it's worth less. Um, now we can take the the venture approach, which is like, well, someone else marked it up, so therefore it's worth whatever, you know, half a percent of twenty million is. Um, and so, sure, I guess on on paper there's there's some worth to it. I I don't think you necessarily have to raise to give give away equity. I mean, the the function of raising requires that. But to an advisor, you could always say, hey, look, um, we haven't raised, we're planning to in X, Y, Z, months, years, whatever. Uh, but we're, we, you could still grant shares in the company despite not having raised money. Right. Um, but maybe the best approach is to say, look, when we do raise, the the what, what you should anticipate is you're going to get blank amount of equity um, just to keep it neat. But yeah, it's an interesting interesting thought. Um, and as far as vesting goes, I, I I don't know, really. I I haven't had that discussion with anyone that I've been, you know, involved in an advisory capacity with. Um, but I think, you know, founder vesting, employee vesting, potentially even board member vesting, I don't know. Super curious.
0: Yeah, I think that's something we got to look into after. <laughs> Let's do it. We talked a little bit about how often potentially advisory boards should meet with startup founders. What should the meetings look like? What should the meetings look like? Um, like an effective startup founder and advisor board meeting.
1: Yeah, I think, I think it should look like the the start of it should be like, hey, similar to a, um, an investor update. A lot of a lot of folks start investor updates with like, here's where we need help. I mean, it's usually like, here's what's going well, okay. here's what's not going well, um, and then like asks. I think founders should be asking specific requests of their investors, of their advisors on a regular basis. Like all these investors and and advisors are are touting value add. You should make them prove it. Like say, okay, I'm looking to hire an engineer in blank geography with blank skill set. Help me find that person. Or you know it can be on marketing, it can be on product, it can be on you know a handful of other exercises. But I think the the meeting, if let's say you're bringing your advisors together and they all have their own differentiated angles and skill sets and experiences, I would just list out the five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten things that your the business is is either struggling with or needs to be thinking through, and then one by one go through it. Who can help me with this? And how? And how can you help me? Um, I think that's probably the most pragmatic way to approach it. And then, let's say it's like I'm making this up, but Jason's on the advisory board and he's a, a marketing wizard. The rest are are not at all. They're I don't know, call them technical. Um, it probably doesn't make sense to have the whole conversation be around marketing while the other folks sit there and you know twiddle their thumbs. I was right. like, great, Jason. It seems like you have a really you know unique point of view here. Let's let's do a breakout session you and I after this or, or next week or whatever whatever makes sense. Um, I think that's how I would most pragmatically approach it. Um, I'm sure there are people who have a lot better thinking on this than I do, but that's sort of my first stab at it.
0: And then any common mistakes you know founders make when building an advisory board? And then what are strategies to avoid those pitfalls?
1: Yeah, I think one, overbuilding it, which we kind of talked about the, the potential downsides there. I think two, relying on your advisory board's credentials or past experience. As, a, as an indicator of your future potential success. Um, you see that in decks probably too often. Look, like, I think it's totally fine to shout out your advisors and you, and really what you're saying is like, hey, I have the ear and, and brain of these people when I need it. And um, I think from an investor's point of view, that's exciting and awesome. And it shows that someone with credentials has sort of bought into what you're doing and is willing to spend time with you. And it's definitely a signal, but to be like, to, to flex that as 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 a core reason your business is going to succeed, um, implicitly or, or explicitly, I think is is flawed. Um, you know, I don't really care who it is. I don't it, it could be Bill Gates <laughs> or Warren Buffett or you know, some some absolute incredible operator. Um and even if they're on their your advisory board as a founder, that doesn't mean your business is going to be successful. Um, in fact, if you go to someone, I think it's Potentially fair to say. Let's say you got Bill Gates on your advisory board. When's the last time Bill Gates took something from zero to one? Like a long, long. Not that he couldn't do it again, but like I don't know that he's yeah. necessarily has the best point of view or, or or the most currently relevant point of view to 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 help you do that. Um, so I would say don't pat it with like names just for the sake of patting with names. It, it's it also how much time is Bill Gates going to spend with you? Um, he might be letting you use his name, but If you get to talk to them once a year for 15 minutes, how valuable is that? Um, And so I think being just thoughtful about how you communicate who's on your advisory board to the external world, be it investors or customers, whatever, um, is important to to think through.
0: Great, great insight. And I know we talked a little bit about ensuring advisory board members providing value, but what metrics should founders use to measure the board's effectiveness?
1: Yeah. Um I don't know what the that there is an overarching metric as applicable that that is applicable to like all board members or the or the board in general. I think it's more of a gut check, like, hey, am I getting reoccurring value from this? Um now what you could do is on a one-to-one basis, be like, you know, do I feel like Brad Baum is is meaningfully helping me in, in the business. Um, and perhaps you could set some like KPIs for that with me upfront. front. It it's like, Hey, here's where I, I think you can lean in and help. Um, what that looks, what that could look like is X, Y, and Z taking place, whether it's a revenue event or, or a milestone rather, or, um, you know, cultivating X, Y or X amount of, distribution partners, whatever whatever that you're leaning on that advisor for and w- within whatever timeframe. And then it's just like, hey, Brad, if we're going to meet, call it for simplicity, four times a year, um, let's check in on a third time and see how far along we are to that, to that KPI or that goal. Um, and then we can adjust from there. Um, there's probably a more nuanced way to do it, but I would say at, at, I think a lot of people aren't even doing that. They're just like, hey, would love to have you on my advisory board. You seem awesome. And then whatever happens, happens. Yeah. It's probably a more intentional way to, to approach it. Is there any
0: examples of successful advisory boards that you personally seen during your time being an investor or any advisory board you've seen in the market that is a example of what founders should be looking for when putting an advisory board together?
1: The things that come to mind are like some of the, the board observer roles I've had and seeing the the board more generally, you know, discuss things. Um, I won't shout out by name, but there was a board I was on that like was actually dealing with the, the COVID crisis and how to navigate that for a, a business that was <laughs> very effective by it to say the least. Um, and I really just, it was fascinating to see how the founder navigated that with a very diverse set of opinions across the board. Um, You know, I think the founder's approach was very much like, let's have this information gathering session where everyone sort of states their preference and their their viewpoint on on this crisis and how it's going to impact and flow downstream to the business with the recognition that no one actually knows. The smartest people in the world don't know, and so it's your hypothesis that's probably based on very little. It doesn't mean you're not right. But, like let's do this sort of synthesis of those ideas, and then we can I think what they did was like sort of weight their probabilities and then examine what each each scenario's impact on the business would be. Um, and it didn't go as smoothly as I'm sort of making it, it was, there's was a lot of argument, you know, between the founders, between board members and founders, so on and so forth. but it was like in this exhaustive exercise that was was long, but I think fruitful um, to, to the, the greater company by the end of it, frankly. Um, I know that's not very specific, but like that's the first thing that came to mind when, when you mentioned that.
0: Yeah. And then at last, um, I'd like to end the podcast with asking you, how should startups balance advice from advisors and their own vision and decision-making? Um as founders.
1: Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think generally speaking, if we're if we're talking super early, like go with your gut. Um, no one, no matter how much we time we spend together, can one to one see your vision and empathize with like sort of where you're coming from. And so it's always this external opinion that's you know, based on the advisor's own experiences, professionally, personally, et cetera. Um and so I think that the it, it ultimately lands in like the the founder having the confidence to be like, look, I've synthesized these varying opinions and y- your job sort of is to like cherry pick. Like, okay, Brad said something interesting, like, let's take that. I didn't like the other 95% of what he said, but but Mary had another interesting data point to contribute. Let me grab that. Um and and that sort of exercise, that's the way I would view as a founder my prerogative as it pertains to working with my advisory board is like, can I sort of skim these these interesting suggestions, data points, whatever it may be off the top, and cherry pick around them to ultimately cultivate a plan that makes me excited and that I believe in. Um, and I think there's there's no pressure, right? Like if if ultimately you're entire let's say your entire advisory board. Thinks that the company should do X, and you think it should do Y, and you've you've genuinely taken the time to hear them out um, and sort of weigh the pros and cons, and you still decide to go with Y, that's fine. Like go with Y. Don't begrudgingly go with X because your advisory board thinks it's great. Um, I think that generally is is the right approach when you have what I would call like a a a two way door, like a door that's easy to enter and then come back the other way and go through a different door. now, there are some one-way doors where it's like it's very difficult to like execute on something and then walk it back and go the other route, either what it's capital-intensive, time intensive, um, you know, so on and so forth. So I think it's important to distinguish between those two types of decision. But beyond that, it's like cherry pick, take what you will, and then go go try whatever hybrid or, or not hybrid, frankly, you think is, is best. And your advisory board, if they're, if they're good, will we'll like stick with you through that. Even if you decide not to go in a direction that they suggested, if their best interest is the company's progress and success, hopefully they're not like, well, you should have done what I told you. Um, they're more like, okay, we made this decision as an entity. Um, and for whatever reason, if it's not working, then let's workshop it and, and find a, a path forward. Um, that would at least be how I would hope my advisory board would, would view that scenario. Um, does that sort of answer the, the question?
0: That answers it perfectly. Thank you, Brad, for getting on the podcast and sharing your insights. Totally. This was fun. My man.